This week on the Off the Crossbar podcast, the Chaos are your PLL champions, and Mark Lucini and Chase Fraser are here to talk about the madness from Sunday. Randy Stoss is headed to Panther City, Albany Firewolves get a new look, and Andrew Suter calls it a career. All that and more on OTCB. I am an outlaw. My name is Teddy Jenner, and welcome back for another year of National Lacrosse League action. Matthews, quick stick. Are you kidding me? By Dylan Ward. I don't believe what I just saw. That's the save of the year right there. Oh, wow. Blair right down the middle, shoots, and he scores! training camp is right around the corner. If you want to get at me, you can find me on Twitter at off the crossbar. Email me teddy.jenner at gmail.com or on Instagram, OTCB podcast. We got a lot to get to this week because a lot of things have happened and we have three unbelievable guests for you this week. Josh Byrne and Mark Lassini of the PLL Champion Chaos. As well as one of the toughest, most passionate, most intense, and most likable guys that has ever played in the NLL, Andrew Suter. After a wonderful, wonderful playing career, Suits has decided... Time is right. He's stepping away from the game. And we have a wonderful chat about his career, what's next, how he came to the decision, and the outpouring of support that he received when the news broke. Over the weekend, as mentioned, PLL had their championship game in D.C., the Flash crew was there in full of force 
and they were treated as well as the other roughly 15,000 fans in attendance. Watch the Whip Snakes going for their third straight title against the quote-unquote hypothetical parentheses, whatever you want to say, underdog chaos. Along with their 3.2%, they shocked the world, backed up by a wonderful and fantastic and magnanimous performance by league MVP Blaze Reardon. A gutty performance by their defensive group, holding Zed Williams and Matt Rambo to like one shot. It was a perfectly executed game plan. And one of the key players in that defensive scheme and may not get as much credit as some of the bigger names is Mark Glassini. And if you watch the PLL at all, you know what Mark Lassini is and what he does. Think Andrew Suter. Maybe without the fisticuffs. But the drive, determination, and tenacity that Glick brings every night is infectious. And when you see guys going to war and battle like that, you want to follow in their footsteps. And one of the great things that I've learned talking to Mark and getting to know Mark is that he is an incredible motivator. And this entire conversation, when we were having it, I felt so at ease listening to Mark. But I also felt fired up and inspired because he speaks so calmly, but he speaks with so, such intensity and passion. And wisdom. It's very refreshing to hear somebody like Mark speak so freely about things, and yet you can tell that he literally believes every word that he says, and then you are left with that same feeling. I don't know why, but it felt much like if I was listening to or had an opportunity to talk to somebody like Drew Brees. You're captivated by every word. You want to continue listening to them talk. You want to hear all their stories. And you want to be around them. And Mark Lassini is a massive part of that chaos locker room. There were videos of him giving pregame, you know, motivational speeches. And it's just so impactful to have a guy like that in your room. Glick may not have had any goals or any points on Sunday. But his heart plays, his hustle plays, and the work that he did amongst that Chaos D group was one of the best performances of the weekend. I hope you can take something away from this chat. And at the end, go check out Mark's foundation and some of the great work that he's doing away from the game of lacrosse. It's a fantastic championship one-on-one with Mark Lassini right here on Off the Crossbar. Joined now on the show by new, brand new PLL champion Mark Lassini of the PLL Chaos. Glick, how are you, brother? 
Doing well. Thanks for having me, Teddy. Uh, you got a smile on your face. You said you haven't taken it off for a few days. That's pretty understandable. But uh, how does it feel to be a champion in the Premier Lacrosse League? You know, I, I, I've been a pro now for six years and every single season ends in a loss, you know, and it's been hard uh, and, and looking to learn from it. How, what, what is the feedback, uh, the burning sensation? How can I use it to be better in the next season? Uh, and to cap this off this way uh, has been something truly special. And to do it with such a great group of guys that uh, grew individually and bought in and sacrificed uh, a little bit of their personal glory for the betterment of the team uh, was something that I'll remember forever. Um, before we get into the championship game and everything, uh, previous and prior to that, there was the PLL awards ceremony and you're on the red carpet with your mom. Uh, how cool of a moment was that to, to share that with her? You know, I wish I got to bring my father as well, but it, it, only uh, one guest per year. And uh, it was really special. I brought my sister in 2019 uh, and just to let them get introduced to, to, all this amazing people uh, at the professional lacrosse level, uh, my friends that are, are opponents as well. And I know it was a, a big night for her as well. And it, it was special to me, you know, because I feel uh, that woman as along, along with my father and my sister, they invested so much uh, time, uh, energy, care, you know, they've seen me through every single rank uh, of this sport. So I feel uh, really grateful that I was able to bring her and, 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 uh, that, that, that was a really special night for sure. Uh, the celebration raged on throughout the next couple of days. I'm sure we'll get to the fun stuff that happened with all that. But um, as that game went on and the ebb and flows uh, of a championship game happened, how tough was it for you guys to stay composed and, and stay to the message of Coach Towers? Uh, you know, what comes to mind is it wasn't hard at all. You know, I think uh, this year was, it felt different. Uh, there, there wasn't, uh, there was more trust than there was thinking. Uh, one of the things that I wouldn't say I regret, but I was learning from last year's loss in the championship was that I wish I got myself and the team uh, more prepared for the moment, right? When, when things are, yes, it's a championship game, but how about the second half of a, a championship game? How about the fourth quarter of a championship game when your heart rate's elevated, everybody has have those somatic responses of sweat in their hands and their palms and there's stress and there's pressure and the, the crowd is loud. Uh, it was really, side note, it was really cool to see the sport growing, you know, to have 15,000 plus uh, screaming was a pretty surreal thing. To answer your question, I, I feel as if this team was so connected uh, that the pressure didn't phase us. You know, there, there was times last year where, wow, you know, this, this is, uh, it feels like a fracture. Uh, and, it, and it was, right, a 10-0 run to, to finish us off. That, that hurt a lot. And, and this year, there was a lot of trust. There was a lot of faith in the process. And there was a lot of confidence in, in the coaching staff, all the way down from Panetta and, and Curtis coming up with a great defensive scheme uh, up to the top with Coach Towers, who really got us ready for the moment and, and, and for the pressure to the point where even when they had goals in the second half, we didn't budge. It, it was a, a lot of trust, faith, and confidence uh, by all 19 men on the field. You are a very positive speaker and you carry a lot of strength in your leadership and, and your role as a communicator with that group. Um, how inspiring is it to see the passion and leadership abilities of Coach Towers? It's contagious. It's contagious, Teddy. You know, I, I think it's so important uh, to have the right people, right? I, I've been talking about this uh, even before the championship game, when, when I was asked about the upcoming game, I just said, we have the right people on the boat. You know, we have the right people on the bus, whatever terminology you want to use. And I think uh, I, 
one of the things that I'll say last year that was true and I really meant it is I'd rather lose with that group than anybody else because we're building uh, to what happened this year. Uh, and it really, that lot losing with them last year really fed into us winning it all this year. Uh, Coach Towers is an amazing leader, right? His energy is very positive. However, when he's speaking to you pregame, midgame, uh, and, and throughout, it's very neutral. Right. We just have to stick to the process. Don't take the first look on offense. Stay connected on the defense. So I, I love the great mix of his positivity and energy with the neutrality of doing the next task that's going to make us most successful. His two lines that always stick out to me are, are don't be happy and go to your dark places. Um, mm -hmm. What's your dark place? I, I will say this, you know. When, when I snap on a helmet, it's got to be different than the guy you're talking to now, Teddy. And I think a lot of, of, uh, of guys and, and gals at the pro level would, would agree with that just because uh, it requires you to pay a, a big price. You know, like, like Patty Merrill says all the time, uh, you got to be willing to pay a really high price. And I think uh, dark to me means being able to uh, not just flip a switch from where you are throughout the week training, right? But you got to be able to go to a place uh, that this is the most important thing in life right now. Uh, and I'm not really worried about uh, a few hours from right now. I'm worried about giving everything I can in the present moment uh, for this team. And where I'll go tangential from that, Teddy, about our, our team is guys just embraced roles, right? Embraced their roles. And, and yes, they were willing to go above and beyond, like you saw Kyle Jackson chasing down a, a ball in the middle of the field. That's the above and beyond that we're looking for. But in terms of scheme, in terms of system, in terms of their role and position on the team, everybody stayed uh, within scheme. And that was a real big reason uh, why we were so connected and able to have trust in each other uh, and peak at the right time. Uh, you mentioned Co Coach Curtis's defensive game plan. Uh, you guys limited uh, Ramble to one shot. Zed had one goal. Um, what was working for you guys? Why were you so effective against an offensive unit that seemed to really control what they were doing most of the year? The greatest thing about sport to me is, is the best team never wins is the team that plays better. Uh, I, I talked about it in the post-game interview, and I'll talk about it now. It, it really comes down to strategy, right? What are we going to do to throw them off? Well, they're most comfortable here. They're most successful here. You saw us triple pole Atlas in, in the semifinal. You saw us cutting off X because they're really lethal on getting the ball through X, swinging it to the backside, and attacking with a down pick. We took them at, out of their game, right? And, and to be able to make that adjustment, we had – uh, a second and a tertiary option to go to if that didn't work, but it did, right? And and they didn't adjust well enough. And a uh, great thing about the game is it's only four quarters, not eight or 12, right? So we were able to stick to that scheme throughout, shut off X, uh, really trust each other on, on pick play and, and, and scrap, really scrap, because that's really what it takes at the end of the day. Um, I, I noticed it getting a little chippy at, at points in that contest, um, both ways, obviously, but um, those are the fun games when, when, when it's that intense and, and there's feeling and emotion. Um, was there ever a point where it was getting a little too much, do you think, or were both teams kind of riding that line pretty well? 
it's a it's an interesting thing because you have to use emotion in the right way and channel in the right way i was speaking to josh you know what made you come top side with anger and finish that finish that off and you know it, it was a combination right uh, kyle jackson got his helmet taken off but it was he said to me it was more uh the adler hit that we all thought was a little too high and and to be able to use that energy and emotion in the right way you know, I'm really proud of our guys, right? Because the ball stayed on that offensive end. If it came down to the defensive end, uh, every every one of us on the defensive end were taking notice, right? So <laughs> we would have probably brought something as well. But it was really cool. You know, you saw the entire uh, sideline uh, come onto the field by about 20 yards when he when he scored that because we really want to stand up for each other. And and Josh was able to do that in that moment. Mm-hmm. You talk about guys playing roles. Um, you know, you get Ian McKay kind of being a Swiss Army and I playing some long pole, some long stick midi and short stick. You got Kyle Jackson coming in and making a difference. You get Max Adler, you know, one of the best draw performances of the year was Max Adler against Joe Nardello this past week and just how he limited him and, and, you know, didn't allow him to do his thing. And then you get Chase Fraser, you know, off the player pool coming in and make a difference. How cool was it to watch, you know, unsung heroes make a big impact for this club? It was the best, right? It, it was the best. I, I don't know how to describe it other than that. I'll say uh, about Max Adler, a small story that I'm really proud of him about is, you know, when we lost that first game to the Whip Snakes at Gillette, uh, Max said to me, you know, why did I train this hard? I, I could have gone 30% or less if I if I just rolled the balls out. And I said, it's a long season. It's a long season. And then I wrapped my arm around him uh, after that final horn went off. And I, I said, this is why. And he said, you're right, Glick, delayed gratification. And that, that's a guy who's prepared for the moment. He's been working really hard. He lost the first eight out of 10, but was able to battle back. And I think uh, not only do you have guys that are willing to, uh, to, to do their role, but guys like Max and, and Chase Frazier, Westberg, uh, Ryan Smith, Mac O'Keefe, these guys willing to do things out of the normal realm uh, of their game to, to, to really seize that moment uh, and, and do it for us. Um, you are very avid fan of blocking and soaking shots. Um, where's the worst place to soak a shot from? Oh, You know, I, I really like to turn, turn my back just because we don't wear a chest protector in the PLL. I, I, when, I, when I soaked that one against uh, John Haas, it, it, like right up in the throat, that, that wasn't really great. Uh, <laughs> I'd say not. I would say, you know, it, it's much better when I get in the back. Uh, just uh, upper back would probably be best, but on those uh, more extremities, those, those sting a little bit. I took one off the foot from Rambo, that, that one had it. You know, it's just – but it – you know, I know my role, you know, yeah. it's, it, it's not a role that everybody um, accepts. When did that become sort of your thing? Not, not, you know, jumping in front of shots and stuff like that, but just that determination to do whatever it took to, to go that extra mile for your teammate. You know, there's this idea that I love Teddy, that uh, the, the harder you work, the, the harder it is to quit. And I think I've gotten to that, that point over years and years of, of working hard. Uh, when I transitioned from offense to defense at Yale, uh, I said, okay, how am I going to be the best at this position? You know, yes, force people to, to, 
uh, uncomfortable spots on their field. And then I said, you know, maybe I could prevent goals in any way possible. And I knew there was something to it when in 2019, Brody asked me, you know, what's the strategy you're thinking about? I, I said, I don't really, I have to think about that one, right? And then I started to understand that if they roll me to X on a short shot clock, maybe I can jump in the back pipe. And then I really started to evolve the thinking of how do we prevent goals by any measure? So it was something that's been an evolution for me. Uh, obviously, uh, it started with just wanting to prevent goals, but now it's it's evolved. Um, did you ever want to be a goalie? No, no, <laughs> especially with the one we have. No, we're, we're all set there. Um, let's talk about the one you have. Um, championship MVP, league MVP, best player on the planet right now. Um, how cool is it to see him get that recognition, not only as a championship goalie, but a, a league best MVP? You know, he's a, he's a great friend of mine, and I, I often talk about him as, as one, of a guy, one of the guys uh, that I've come across at this level uh, that flips the switch in terms of competitive fire, you know, almost better than I've ever seen, right? He's, he's locked in. His eyes are bulging pregame. Uh, he, he's uh, banging the ball against every part of his body to get ready for the moment. Uh, his preparation is, is incredible. Uh, and I, I just sh I should po point out everybody – knows him for his uh, silky hands and amazing reaction time and his great save percentage and his great clearing, but his growth as a leader and what he's done for our locker room is, is invaluable. And his smelling salts get the job done. <laughs> Maybe a little, that has something to do with it. <laughs> um, your offense was pretty spectacular. And, you know, everyone kind of makes the comment, you know, it was an NLL offensive team with the bandits and the seals and Kyle Jackson in there as well. Um, as a defenseman, how tough is it to go against your O group? You know, we actually, we actually talk about this uh, when we're practicing. Are we doing this for the offense? Are we doing this for the defense? Because it's a little bit different, right? If they're trying to work uh, their offense, we probably play it a little bit differently. And then how are we going to play uh, this more American-style uh, offense that we're going to be playing? So there's definitely that shift that has to happen in practice. It's, we can't get too used to playing our guys' offense because that's not what we're going to see in, in about 24 hours after the practice. So there has to be that change and understanding what's being thrown at you. Don't know how to describe it better than that. Um, as that game went on, when was the moment where you realized this is it? We're going to do this. You know, I've been saying to my family and friends that, you know, with a minute left, 14-9, I said, wow. You know, I usually I don't usually don't do that right ever. Um, but we were in a pretty good place with, the, with those guys running the ball around on offense. And I would just say there was a, a point, you know, I was just watching the film earlier today with about like 10 to eight minutes left where I was in a great place mentally and I was calm in an uncalm place because I saw the composure of our offense, right? I saw how, how much they were unselfish when you saw Dane, you know, get to seven yards, draw a slide and hit, hit Frazier for one more, you know, wow, we, we've really made it. And I think that has to be the focus, Teddy. It can't be, we have to beat this team. We have to beat that team. No, we have to be the best version of our team, our identity, what we do. And that'll beat anybody in the world. And that proved to be true on Sunday. Um, how good does Pink Whitney taste out of Crystal? <laughs> you know, after the after a game like that, anything takes anything. Me. Yeah, um, we got to do some sleuthing. Who broke it? Who broke it? Who broke it? You know, I'll do anything for that team. <laughs> I won't tell on them though. Yeah, I won't tell um, them. 
the the crazy part now is you get you know you got the championship you're gonna feel that you're gonna feel the energy and excitement of that but now you kind of have to switch gears a bit and turn your mind into box mode um you've got about six weeks before seals camp starts in november um what's your timetable are you taking some time off to relax and heal the body before you get right back into it yeah right when uh the, the game ended and we're celebrating and the next day turns I'm, I'm thinking you know maybe i should follow what i know in, in fitness and, and really take that two weeks of recreational time and I got right back at it today. You know, it's Tuesday, you know, 48 hours after. Uh, and I think that comes from me uh, learning this thing from uh, Dawn Staley, uh, the 24-hour rule. Uh, she's the head, head women's uh, basketball coach of the national team. And she talks about you have 24 hours uh, to agonize and defeat or, or bask in victory. And I really like that. When I was really young, it was like more like 96 hours. It's so hard to get over a loss or you're on cloud nine with your chin up in the air, uh, strutting around. Uh, I think it, it's going to be uh, – an evolution just like this season was right i'll be preparing a little bit harder and a little bit harder as we close in on it uh, i did enjoy the moment uh, but now it's back to work already um let's quickly go back to that moment how nice was it to win with wes and mac and, and your seals teammates like that must have been pretty special it was really special. It was really special. And, and to, to point out those guys, you know, Wes and I are talking in the game, uh, going third to fourth quarter, his maturity, his leadership, just talking to me. He's got the offensive guys making sure uh, that they're composed and to see Mac grow into his own too. You know, a guy who's playing his role, the guy when he, when he releases it from his hips, almost in the back of the net, one of the back of the nets before you know it. Uh, it's, uh, it's a really special thing. And I look to uh, come to San Diego with those guys and continue it. Um, when you were growing up, was there much box across where you were in New Jersey? Not much at all, right? Yeah. Not much at all. And I, I would say uh, it wasn't until I was in the college game that I started to take notice of it. And then after, uh, once I turned pro, I was like, I, I, I know I've been talking about this word evolution a lot, but I wanted to keep taking my game to another level. And there was multiple reasons that took me to San Diego. And, and now that I'm there uh, with the coaching staff and, and the guys in that locker room, it's been a really cool thing to be able to learn the game, evolve my game uh, and play in a special organization uh, like the Seals. Uh, how much have you learned from Brody Merrill in the short time that you spent around him? First thing that comes to mind when you say Brody Merrill's little victories, right? I don't think there's uh, many people like him that take care of the details. He's a great friend. I'm really lucky to have him in my life just because he's been a guiding light, but also somebody that I can turn to uh, over lunch or dinner to, to talk about life. And, and uh, I think that epitomizes Brody in the fact that he's one of the best uh, competitors in the entire world, uh, but he's also one of the best friends, which is really cool. How much of their difference in your styles of field box to box or field D to box D, how much do they kind of share each other and how much do they differ? I think if I was being really uh, specific for, for the lacrosse listener, I, I would say my approaches have to be a lot different. Uh, you know, talking uh, in this PLL championship, I'm, I have to take much more of a flat approach on those middies up top uh, because they can go either way. And I have to, jam them and run with them when it when it comes to box it's more of a side game right so I can take more of a banana approach and that'll be a, something that I have to switch back to is forcing a guy down the wall uh, rather than giving the alley which could be a goal in, in field so I think that really stands out as the biggest difference uh, as well as the, the pick pay pick play and, and the balls bouncing off the wall um, it's nice when you play your uh, your offense because they're picking everywhere with that mm -hmm. chaos so it's kind of a, a little hybrid for you um, 
how excited are you to get to San Diego and, and get this thing going again? It's been a while since you guys have played. It was that game against Rochester in March. Um, you guys won a Pachanga. How excited are you get to back get back to it all and and experience San Diego life and NLL life again? Well, I'll tell you what, it's been really cool to have here have all this reach out af after winning the the PLL championship. Uh, and three guys that that did are, are our coaching staff at, at San Diego, and I'm really excited, Teddy. You know, I, I think. Uh, I talked about it earlier in our conversation right now. It's like San Diego has the right people, right? It has the right people, and that's really what it comes down to. So I'm extremely excited to go to build alongside of them and uh, keep chasing that win. Um, I want to give you some time to talk about your foundation and study greatness. What are the, what's the work you guys are doing to, to kind of just make people better people? Wow, that, that's a... Thank you so much for bringing that up. Uh, you know, one of the things that I wanted to work on was the service aspect of me. Uh, and uh, earlier this year, alongside my family, I started the Mark Lassini Meaningful Growth Foundation uh, that's looking to help uh, families that are struggling with the finances or, or, or all the other hardships that come along with cancer. Uh, my father lost his father when he was 10 years old. My mom lost her brother to testicular cancer. Uh, it's touched my mom personally she battled it uh through from 2011 to 2013 so it's just something really close to home that we're looking to help families little by little and by the end of this year we're looking to help due to donations uh at least two to three families which is going to be special in terms of uh grateful and full of greatness that's a podcast that i started that i really uh thought would be really cool that i could learn alongside but also give people my perspective on, on mental performance uh peak performance optimal performance with people that I believe uh, never arrive. They're always looking to continue to chase something down. And I've had, uh, in my opinion, pretty, pretty great people on that podcast that speak about who they're grateful for on their upbringing and throughout their life and, and what, what they're up to that day uh, going after next. Absolutely. Thank you very much. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's fantastic. Well, where can people hear your podcast and find more information about the foundation? So you can go to marklacini.com for, for my, my business or my foundation. When it comes to uh, my podcast, that's Grateful and Full of Greatness with Mark Lassini. That's on um, everywhere, uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, et cetera. Thank um, you. My man, you are uh, a pleasure to chat with. You're a treat to watch. You're, you're a fantastic human being, man. This has been awesome. Congratulations again. Uh, I know you, you, know, you took your 24 hours, but maybe take like 36 hours and enjoy <laughs> a little more. You deserve it, man. Yeah, that's what people keep saying to me. I really appreciate that. You know, thank you very much, Teddy. There he is, Mark Lassini of the PLL Chaos, but also of the San Diego Seals. And I truly am excited to watch what he can do inside the box this year. He got into a few games with the Seals during the shortened season. And... I think he will have a more of a role this year within that Seals defensive unit after the summer that he just had. And like I said, it was just a very cool conversation with Mark just to listen to his mental fortitude and how he goes about thinking things and the tactfulness when he speaks, but the strategy and the mindset, it was a really cool open book and um, I hope you guys enjoy it as well because he's just one of those very composed, mature young men in our sport that kind of has a big picture mentality. So again, check out Glick's website, follow him on socials, and just 
get a better understanding of one of the very interesting men in our sport. Glick and the San Diego Seals will kick off the NLL season on December 3rd against the Colorado Mammoth in San Diego at Pachanga Arena. The NLL schedule isn't out yet, but there is a good possibility that we see it next week. Nothing 100% confirmed, but I have a feeling we're going to start to see a bit of a rollout of the schedule starting next week. And as we lead into NLL camps starting in November, we're starting to see some more movement from teams. And Panther City continues to be one of those teams that is making moves. Earlier in the week, on Monday, they had teased some news coming. And it came in the form of Randy Stotts. And this was an interesting trade when you look at it and when you first hear about it. But if you are the Georgia Swarm, you weren't going to have Randy Stotts for this year. He wasn't going to play. He tore his ACL at the start of PLL training camp. He had surgery roughly June, July-ish, early summertime. Six to nine months puts estimated return to play at earliest, maybe March, but probably like April, May. So it's very unlikely that even PCLC gets to see him this year. However, Randy was going to be an unrestricted free agent. All signs pointed to him not returning to Georgia. So John Arlotta and Eddie Como had to find a way to try and get what they could for Randy Stotts. And in exchange for the former Rookie of the Year, the man who set the rookie points record, they got a first-round selection in 2024, a second-round selection in 2023, and a conditional third-round selection in the 2022 entry draft. My guess is that conditional third is based on if he plays at some point during the season. If Randy is able to play and Panther City maybe is making some sort of push, I could there's a chance maybe late. But I truly believe with what they did during the draft, they're in no rush, right? They drafted guys for the sole purpose of getting the best guy possible. Didn't matter if they were now or for next year. If you can get Randy in the lineup this year, that's a bonus. If you can get Jonathan Donville in the lineup at some point this year, that's a bonus. But I think the way they're going about this year is they're just going to kind of come out guns a-blazing with what they can have and be prepared to go full steam ahead in year two when they get the majority of this first draft class back. And for Randy Stotts, it's a fresh start. It's a new area. It's a new franchise. It's a new team. But a chance for him to be the number one guy. He came into the league at the same time as Lyle Thompson. And he's kind of always sort of been in his shadow. And now he will be looked at to be the leader on that righty shooter side. 
and it will be an opportunity for him to prove that he is a top-level, elite all-star in our league. So that was the biggest news that the Panther City lacrosse club, lacrosse club made. But they also, midweek, flipped Anthony Kalinich to Vancouver, along with a fourth-round pick in 2022, to the Warriors in exchange for Harrison Smith and a second-round pick in 2022. So Kalinich in a fourth for Harrison Smith and a second. Now, I'm going to be totally honest with you. I don't really know who Harrison Smith is. He has one game in the WLA for the Langley Thunder. He was picked up by the Vancouver Warriors back in 2010, or sorry, in 2020. Has never played in the NLL. I don't think he's actually been to an NLL camp. And the last lacrosse I believe he played was back in 2019. Now, from what I did find, he's a very talented young defender. Good stick, good size, good speed. But a very unknown. And maybe this is the work of the Panther City uh, scout group. And they feel that maybe this kid's a bit of a diamond in the rough. Maybe they're getting a steal. But I truly thought that if Vancouver was going to make this trade with Panther City, which always kind of seemed inevitable because Vancouver had originally put in a qualifying offer or an offer sheet, sorry, for Anthony Kalinich when he was with the Roughnecks, but the Roughnecks matched it. And then Kalinich got flipped to Panther City. And now... Dan Richardson finally gets his man in a trade with Panther City. And Dan Richardson gets a very talented young defender that has unbelievable speed, is only going to get better, and really helps their decor improve. And to be honest, this is a ever-improving defensive unit over the past you know, since the COVID stoppage, Dan Richardson has done a good job in filling gaps in that defense that was one of the weakest in the NLL. But I thought that if this trade was going to happen, that it was going to include Kyle Killen. And that Kyle Killen would go to Panther City. Because as of right now, Kyle Killen is in a battle with about six other guys, five or six other guys. There's Keegan Ball, Marty Dinsdale, Jordan McBride, Daniel Mazzone, Keegan Bott, and Kyle Killen. I think if Kyle Killen comes into camp in shape and ready to commit to whatever role Chris Gill asks of him and Caleb Toth asks of him, then I can see him being their number four guy. But if he doesn't, he really risks the opportunity of, or risks, yeah, risks the chance to get that opportunity and get that fourth spot. But 
I just thought that for a young franchise that kind of needs some bodies for now until they get some of their young prospects back, that a guy like Kyle Killen could be very serviceable for them. But again, has to come into camp in shape and has to prove that he can do whatever is asked of him. And at the end of the day, Vancouver gets Kalinich and a pick. Panther City gets Smith and a pick. Both teams seem to be happy. So we'll move on. Because there were some other moves this past week that kind of need a little fleshing out. And the other one I kind of want to focus on is Craig Wendy being moved from Rochester to Georgia. And we've talked in the past, since the draft, that Georgia needed to find a standby in goal. Someone that could back up Mike Poulin. Because as of right now, they have Mike Poulin, Lane Rushka, Lucas Coote, Aiden Walsh, and now Craig Wendy. And if Lane Rushka isn't ready to step up and be the number two, getting Craig Wendy in behind Mike Poulin is a big jump and a good jump. Wendy has potential to be an NLL star. He's just, I don't want to say he's young because he's not, because he's actually been at this for quite some time. He's only gotten a real shot in the NLL in the last few years. But he is experienced, he is mature, he is a great sponge, but also somebody that can teach Lane Rushka a lot and be that go-between and just kind of help him along. But also, if Mike Poulin either A, needs a night off, or B, needs you know five minutes off, Craig Wendy can come in and get the job done. So that's a nice addition for the Georgia Swarm to get Craig Wendy, and it only cost him a fourth-round pick in 2022. So that's a good get and a good acquisition for Georgia. Nighthawks get a fourth-round selection. So good move by all teams, moving bodies, getting things that you need, goalies, picks, players for now, players for later. Um, it's been a very interesting week so far when it comes to the waiver wire and the transaction wire. Go to nll.com slash news slash transactions for more. And you can see everything that's going on with your club and your favorite player. And if you want to look as good as your favorite players do, for all of you in the States, go to nllshop.com. And all of you up in Canada... Go to fanatics.ca and get your league-approved apparel now. Shirts, hats, hoodies. You got all the hot new looks from the Albany Firewolves, Panther City, Calgary Roughnecks, but all your favorite team colors are there. Make sure you head over to fanatics.ca or nllshop.com and make sure that when December 3rd comes around, you're looking as good as you can. As mentioned, the Albany Firewolves unveiled their uniforms and their colors and man did they nail it i love the burgundy or maroon and gold uh it's a really good look it's clean 
the jerseys are nice. I like the red logo with just, or the red jersey with just the logo. Um, the back of the helmet decal is really cool. I think it's either teeth or claw. I think it's teeth or claws. But overall, the Albany Firewolves did a fantastic job in rolling this out, leading up to it, and nailing the colors, and nailing the logo, and nailing the look. Yes, Krista, it does kind of look like a yawning bear. I get it. But it's a Firewolf. It's an awesome look. And I'm excited to see them up close and personal because on social media, they look absolutely great. Um, before we get to Andrew Suter, um, we're still trying to flesh out, as mentioned, the schedule is going to be coming out very soon. And as, you know, media, as fans and interested parties and invested parties, we want to know what's going on. And if you are following along with social culture right now and other sporting leagues, teams, arenas are announcing that, you know, fans, staff, players are going to need to show proof of vaccination to get into games and then get into an arena. And obviously every city, county, province, state, country is different. You know, today I saw that in Philadelphia, vaccinations aren't required to go to flyer games. But a mask will be required. Whereas most arenas in Canada are saying that you have to show proof of vaccination or you can't get it. So what a lot of people are wondering is what is this going to mean for our players in our league? And we're going to try and flesh this out a little bit more. Uh, we're hoping to speak with Jessica Berman in the coming weeks to kind of find out where we're at in all this because obviously this is going to be something that needs to be handled sooner rather than later. And that is how are players going to be handled whether they are vaccinated or not vaccinated. And the simple way to put it is if you're not vaccinated, it's going to be tough to play. And this isn't a knock on your personal decision. If that is the way that you want to live your life, and that is the decision that you are making, you're standing by that, I'm not going to try and change your mind. That is not my job. But the way things are being set out right now by governments is that if you aren't vaccinated, not only are you not going to be able to get into an arena, you probably won't get able, be able to get onto a plane and you're probably not going to be able to cross the border. So it, it kind of gets cut and dry that way. You know what I mean? Like there's no fine line when it comes to whether you're vaccinated or are you not? Because if you're not, the majority of things that you're going to want to do when it comes to the NLL, you're not going to be allowed to do them. And that's going to cost guys roster spots, paychecks, and a chance to play the game. I don't think anyone is going to make it mandatory, whether it's the union or the league, but due to governmental restrictions and local laws, 
I think it'll be out of their hands to really have to enforce it because it's going to be done for them. Now, the bigger question will be, and I think this will be a major issue for the players, is how are travel tests going to be done? Because I believe, as it stands now, if you are going to, you know, to get on a flight domestically, you don't need to go get any COVID travel tests or anything like that. But if you're going to cross the border, you have to have a negative test within 72 hours. And then going back, you have to have a negative test within 72 hours. So depending on when a player travels, they are most likely going to need to have a test done both going down and coming back. There, I believe there's kind of like a loophole that, you know, if you get your test right before you fly on a Friday and you're coming back Sunday, that's like a 72-hour window, so you can still travel on that negative test. But that's probably not very feasible for a lot of the guys. So you're probably going to have to get a test, you know, a day or two before you travel and then get one right before you come back. But that is not cheap. That's a lot of money coming out of the players' pockets for those tests. So the question then becomes, can teams find a way to have testing done, you know, at the arena during pregame shootarounds so guys don't have to worry about it and can just get done there at the arena, boom, in and out, no problem. That is a saved cost. Well, obviously there's a cost to it, but it helps as the players won't have to be out of pocket. But if the players are going to be getting out of pocket and having to pay for it when they come down and having to pay for it when they get go back, will the NLL be reimbursing that? Or will teams be reimbursing that? Those are all questions that need to be answered. And hopefully we can speak with the Deputy Jessica Berman next week and get some of those answers for you. As mentioned, Andrew Suter has been a warrior since he burst onto the scene on a national and sort of more prolific scale when he was with the Junior Northmen back in 2010, 2009. And he was an absolute warrior. They do not make them like Andrew Suter very often. They do not make them like Jeff Snyder very often. And Jeff Snyder and Andrew Suter played very similar type roles. And not just with their fists. But like we talked about with, with the things that Mark Glassini did and does for the chaos and the seals, Jeff Snyder and Andrew Suter do the exact same thing every time they step on the floor. They sacrifice their bodies, they lay it all on the line for their teammates, and they will do whatever it takes to win. And if you've ever watched Andrew Suter play the game of lacrosse, you know he will do whatever it takes to win. 
whether it's diving in the corner for a loose ball, jumping in front of a shot, dropping the mitts, or firing a buzzer beater all the way from his own crease into an empty net. He took face-offs. He played on offense. He played on defense. He ran the floor. He did every single thing he was asked of every single shift. And he will always be remembered for never taking a shift off and leaving everything he had on the floor each and every night. Caught up with suits, and we go over the thought process, the reactions, and what the future holds for one of the game's best. This is Andrew Suter, one-on-one on Off the Crossbar. Joined now by one of the toughest competitors our sport has ever seen in this past week after a storied 10-year career in the National Lacrosse League. Decided to hang him up. He's Andrew Suter. How are you, brother? Not too bad, Teddy. Thanks for having me on, as always, brother. Uh, I appreciate you coming on. It, it has been a, a wild week for you. Um, how has the reaction been um, from your eyes uh, and just hearing from all your peers and former and fellow teammates and competitors and coaches, just the outpouring of support that you've gotten um, since you announced uh, that you're retiring from the, the pro game? Um, I mean, I know you know me on a personal level and uh, a lot of these people know me on a personal level. So the number one word when a lot of people say me is soft and emotional. So obviously a lot of tears, um, a lot of amazing phone calls. So to answer your question in one word, it's overwhelming. Um, Obviously, uh, I don't view it myself as that kind of thing. I just view myself as a guy that always wanted to work hard for his teammates um, and, you know, for his franchises. Um, And to get some of the phone calls I've got, um, you know, some Hall of Fame guys, some guys that are going to be in the Hall of Fame, some guys you thought that, you know, even when you played with them, you weren't even sure they really liked you. Um, things like that. And it's just to hear from them and, you know, a couple of texts and things like that. It's, uh, you know, it, it makes you feel good inside. I, I can't deny that. And, uh, you know, all it makes me do is just cherish more and more this fraternity I'm a part of. And, uh, you know, like I said, very, very emotional, a lot of tears this week, but uh, thankful, I guess is another word, just to know that the number one thing every conversation ended with was just because you're done lacrosse doesn't change our friendship. And to me, that means the world to me. Um, I don't know who's calling you soft. Um, just because you cry doesn't make you a soft. You are um, as tough as they come. But but I understand that the emotion of of the moment, the emotion of the words from your peers means so much, the respect that you get from them. Um, how did this decision come about? Was it something you'd been mulling about for a while? Was it impacted by the lack of lacrosse over the last year and a half? How'd you come to, to the decision that the time was right right now? So it was the triple header. Um, I have a very, very good opportunity in my business I'm in. Uh, I'm in a family business and, you know, it's kind of been one of those scenarios where I've been doing my role and uh, with the, you know, leaving on the weekends and not being fully committed, it's now time to, you know, go forward with my career that I am going to pursue. Uh, that was, which was another big part was, are you actually going to go forward in this career? And I, uh, you know, me and my family have made the decision. Um, and, uh, you know, my mom and dad uh, are uh, my best friends and, uh, you know, I talked to them about it and they, they agreed with me. And then the big one is, uh, you know, my fiance and my son. Um, mm-hmm. It's just the thing that, you know, Jennifer told me that if I wanted to play, she would never get in the way. And I told her that I wanted to come home and she was extremely happy to hear that. 
And, uh, you know, I want to spend time with double J's as much as I can now. And I understand there's a lot of guys in the league and I, I don't mean to have to sound that way. It's just a personal desire for me. And to be quite frankly, am I ready to go? Am I in shape? I'm close. I'm where I need to be to go into the season. But at the same time, my body's still telling me, you know, you're still sore. Um, you know, my hand hurts. My knees are still sore, which won't go away. And, you know, it's the perfect storm. And uh, I haven't had one second thought yet and i'm uh, completely at peace with it and like i said the the, the toughest part has been those call, phone calls and conversations so it was the perfect storm and uh, personal decision that I'm, I'm ready to move on does uh does young jay know how special this moment is going to be to have dad home all the time oh i think so because <laughs> i mean right when i thought i got out of the way of fighting i got every night around 7 30 when he knows it's bedtime it's he asked for body slams and <laughs> you know spears so you know, Jen, Jen will lie in bed and JJ and I get a good 30 second round in. And I, I still take him now that he's only 27 pounds. Like, I got the upper hand on him. <laughs> it, it's, it's a crazy thing as a lacrosse player, knowing that every weekend you're going to be away from your family. But at the same time, you're joining your family every weekend. Um, how tough is it going to be to not be around the guys every weekend? Because anybody that knows you, um, knows you're a heart and soul team guy. You do everything for your teammates. You're a vocal leader. You're an emotional leader. But now you have to take all that away. How tough is it going to be for you to step away and not be a part of that? Uh, the dressing room is going to be one of the biggest parts I miss. Uh, there's no doubt about it. So to try to cope with that, the one thing I keep telling myself is I'm now in, what are we at now? 15 dressing rooms. I got buddies on every team. So a lot of the phone calls I ended it with, you know, I don't I'm not on your team now. So if I see a bad player if you're in the cruise or I don't see you running off you'll come to the dressing room to a text and things like that and I get to sit back and enjoy it I can cheer for Nick Rose for the first time in <laughs> 10 years and uh, you know I can uh, see stuff like that and uh, you know I'm obviously got the biggest soft spot in the world for my guys in New York but um, there's a lot of guys I played junior with that I didn't get the fortune to play with in the pros and I'm just truly going to have fun being a fan Teddy it's just going to be sitting back and enjoying the game of lacrosse the thing that so many of his love is I found when I was in it, you know, there was things where, Oh shit, he scored that, you know, I was supposed to cover him next week. That looked pretty, you know, I can't cover that. So yeah. I'm looking forward to just sitting back and watching and, you know, studying the game and learning because, you know, down the road, I, I hope at some point, depending on the new role and stuff like that, if there is a scouting position or if there could be a video coordinator, or, you know, if any coaching, depending on how this league expands. So Honestly, just falling in love with the game and holding guys accountable still from afar. That way they can't give it back to you. You can just shut <laughs> You're going to be, you know, a keyboard warrior all of a sudden on social media. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I can let coaches know if it's a bad challenge. I can see it because I get the instant replay before they get back. To <laughs> <Perfect>. <laughs> um, obviously, it would have been amazing to, to play under, you know, Jim Beltman and, and Dan Latasur and that New York group. But how special has that group meant to you in your time that you've been there? Um, so Jimmy and Laddie have just treated me absolutely first class. Um, you know, I golfed with both of them this preseason. Um, just to, to get to know them, um, understand what my role was, understand the expectations, understand the expectations of the team. Um, and I can't say enough about them. Their first class, that was a very, very big piece that, you know, was a big swing to coming back was the fact that I really, really wanted to play under Jimmy again. And I, I really wanted to play under Laddie because it, let's not sugarcoat this. He's the type of coach that kind of, I would love to play for is, uh, the way I played. And, uh, 
it was very tough. I wish them all the success in the world. And it did kill me that uh, I'm not going to be able to play. And, you know, I, that's uh, for a guy I've never played for Laddie, but that was another very emotional call for mm -hmm. me just because I do think the world of Laddie. And um, I reminded him he's a bit older. And I can remember a young Andrew Suter in the crowd at the Rock and the big dog scored. And I was waving a T-shirt around. So it would have uh, been fun to, for that stuff to, to get it. But uh, I wish them all the success in the world. Um, let's go back to 2011. Um, you get drafted from RIT as an Orangeville guy to the Minnesota Swarm. You come as a bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, young, you know, 21-year-old. What was a young Andrew Suter like in those early days? Um, he tried to be a sponge. Um, <laughs> thankful for me at that time, we had a guy by the name of Rory Smith who I lived with, so it was a pretty nice uh, guy to learn from. And then we had Callum Crawford living in the other condo. Um, as well as Zach Greer. Um, so as far as living in Minnesota, I got to learn a ton from them about professionalism and, you know, some tr uh, trades of the craft from Rory. Um, that And Rory was very, very, you know, supportive of me because Rory wanted to go get better at what he did and he would take me with him. Um, and then as far as the team went, I mean, I, I can name it all day. Andrew Watt, Ryan Benash, Ryan Cousins, um, Eric Pacey, Nikki Patterson, Suker. I mean, those guys were just super. all of them. Yeah, super, yeah. Uh, and the only two rookies on the team that year were me and Tyler Haas. Oh, and Hosser, yeah. Hosser was a bit older, so he got off. So, and Matty Giles, and I can remember, you know, if, you know, everyone knows I like to have my fun after the game. So, I like to get a little chirpy as the young 21-year-old there. And Matty G put me in my place pretty good. All my equipment came around the roundabout one at a time. I can remember that one. And then the, the second best one was he got me with the, he didn't like my hat. So he gave me $50 and threw it out. <laughs> so it was, uh, it was a lot of learning and uh, I don't think I would have understood the leadership role um, and things like that. If it wasn't for all those guys and uh, you know, there was always one guy picking up balls and then they'd make Haas come back out. So it was, uh, it was a lot of fun. And uh you know, you get called captain rookie and things like that. So it was just uh, an introduction to what this league's about and uh, to see how it's grown in these 10 years is, you know, incredible, but uh, it was a lot of fun coming in as a young guy. Were you always um, a guy willing to fight? Did it just come naturally to you? Um, so here in Orangeville, um, the thing is, is there's something in the water. Uh, <laughs> a lot of guys, like you can look at Josh Sanderson or the little, little desert rat and Brucey Cod there. And, uh, even Rusty Kruger, like, you know, I don't know what happened. We just can't seem to break that like six foot. Um, so it's rare. It's yeah, rare. Yeah, it's rare. Right. So I, it was just one of those things, um, you know, and uh, I had a few in minor and did okay. And then well, the, the first game I was called up uh, from junior when I was in my second year midget, I decided someone got hit from behind and I went into the corner against the big guy from Peterborough. And I thought that I had one cause I got his helmet off and got one punch in, but when I woke up in the penalty box, built in, and I, I realized that I was no longer in midget anymore. And my only chirp was I'm 16 or 15 and I'm yelling at the guy and Maddie Sawyer kind of giggled on the bench and told me to shut up. And it was good that I was up again. So yeah, I, I like to call my first junior game, the human typewriter. Cause I, he hit every, every key. On the uh, other than that, um, it was just something that, I don't know if it was just something that I was in the right place or the right time or something I was just willing to do, but it just, you know, it's, it's not necessarily the, the most fun job at all times, but to me, it was always never about just going out and doing it. 
sometimes it happened that way. Just if mm -hmm. you're the one that gets dirtied, it's more so about, you know, making sure your teammates know you got their back. Um, I don't really like asking this fight because I know fighters kind of don't really like they take pride in it, but it's not really something I like to talk about. But is there a fight that stands out as like one of your favorites? Uh, yeah, probably, uh, it's in junior. It was, uh, me and, uh, Bubba Courtney and six nations and we went helmets, jerseys, pads. Oh, wow. So it just turned into uh, a pretty good one and uh, a great tilt both ways. Both of us standing up with a big hug after and thank goodness there was only a minute left because I don't know if I could have played another <laughs> after that. But uh, that, that's when I remember um, there's, there's always rememberable ones. I mean, the first one against the Peterborough guy, I remember the second punch. And then after that, I don't really <laughs> remember too, too much after that. Yeah. Um, but no, there's, there's always ones you remember. Um, and the ones that you remember usually are the guys we become the best friends with yeah. after. Um, like, like when you have conversations with, with Snides or Rory or, you know, Polly Dawson, is, is it, you know, talking about fighting or is it just, you know, relishing in the roles that you guys did and how well you did it honestly buddy it's it's neither it's yeah. how's your family yeah. what's going on how's how's elevate lacrosse doing with snides or you know huge congrats to paulie on the birth of his son and asking paulie how the fire department was going and you know rory on with the fire department and with living with roar i got to know his parents really well and it's just how's your mom and dad and you know you, you know it's there and i'm sure come a bar talk it, it might change a bit yeah. Um, but all in all, it's just, it's more so how you're doing, you know, I get to see, I'd like to say two times a year, sometimes three, my, one of my favorite humans to talk to is Tim O'Brien. He, he treats me like a little brother every time he sees me. And, uh, I go down to the Burlington chiefs alumni golf tournament. He comes up to the Orangeville one and it's just a huge hug. And it, how's your girls, you know, how's Jade? It's just, it's like I said, it's this fraternity and the friendship and, uh, just so happens maybe you have a tighter bond with some guys because of that aspect. Um, but more so it's never about that. It's like I said, it might be, it might be a bit more of a late night talk, but uh, not, not so much the checking in part of making sure everyone's family's doing well. When people watch, um, you know, your game film and they watch it back, one of the things they'll always notice is, is your hustle plays and, you know, you're diving around the turf for loose balls. You're getting in the corners, you're getting yourself dirty how much wear and tear did that put on the body as your career went on? Because, you know, your knees, you start having knee injuries and, and you start getting a little more banged up here and there, but that never waned. Like you always played with that intensity. Oh, you can't fix stupid is what they say <laughs> sometimes, but, uh, um, and I don't mean this in any negative way. And it's not something I like talking about all the time, but I'm not a, I'm not a huge fan of the turf. Um, I played in Orangeville my whole life and the summer I got to play out West and, and I get it. You get older. I do get that, but I just haven't seen too, too many people get injured on cement. And, uh, I'm not saying that's the reason for the knee injuries and trust me, I like diving on the turf a lot more than diving on the cement, yeah. but, um, I just think you pick your poison. Um, and I think it did have its wear and tear, but I think another big thing is just it's the story of our lives is if you get a dent in your armor, then you're, you're vulnerable. Um, unfortunately the first knee happened and then a year and then the second one, and then two shifts on the third one. So it's just yeah. like, you can't really catch a break. And, you know, I went into, and you know, I'm open to talking about it. I got very depressed and you start to have some anxiety and, you know, you're thinking that everything's over and I was living by myself to put the noodle on top of it. So 
I had, uh, like I've said earlier, my parents were so supportive and uh, I got a angel of a little sister that was over all the time and things like that that helped me through it. But I definitely think it wears. Um, I just sometimes think it, things are meant to happen. Um, everything happens for a reason. Uh, was I meant to have those knee injuries and try to come back? I guess that, that, that was my path. Um, what do I wish I could change them? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I wish I could change every single one, but um, yeah, it's just, uh, I think it's, yeah, maybe the way I play maybe, you know, being hard headed and never learning how to run properly could have been something that, and the thing is I had to dive a lot of the time because I was a step slower than most of the other guys. <laughs> I had to make sure I got in the corner first. <laughs> um, as you grew up in Orangeville, was there pressure to, to sort of be an elite player because of how great that organization is? That's the one thing that I, and it's everyone that's listening to this, I know I'm going to get taxed. He's biased. He's biased. It's uh, there really isn't. It's if you're there and you want to play and you want to compete, you're going to get coached. Mm-hmm. And if you're there and you want to work hard, they're going to work with you to improve it. And I mean, to go through the people I played for, I mean, I played for Philip Sanderson and <laughs> Bantam and Owen Ivy. Then I got to play for the two Dowler brothers who have won how many founders cup in orange. And then you get to junior and you get Maddie Sawyer, Rusty Kruger, Phil Sanderson, Bruce Codd, John Lovell, Phil Weatherup. It's like, you know, they, they, they cut raw talent as long as you're willing to work. And, you know, we had the Adam Joneses of the world that didn't really need too much coach and just put the ball where you want to and it goes in. But yeah. I think the expectation was all just give it all you have. And, you know, a lot of my best friends are guys that I played with my first year junior and guys that are older than me. And another thing was you just didn't want to let them down. Like yeah. they're at the arena, they pay their money. And they win the 50-50s and they come to the booster clubs to see you work your ass off, right? And I think that was a, a big piece of it. And I think that's something that's instilled in Orangeville. And a lot of us give back, whether it's coaching the peewees and bantams or things like that. And making sure these kids know, you know, when the pro guys come back, they go for a run with them. And uh, things like that happen. So I don't think there was ever pressure. There was just self-expectation. When you look back on your career, um, how, do, how does the story go for Andrew Suter? Um, thankful that I had the opportunity to compete against the best players that this world has to offer in the box game. Um, thankful for the relationships I've met. Um, thank you to the Arlotta family, Kurt Styers, Mohegan Sun Casino, Denise Watkins, and, you know, GF Sports for the ownership, for giving it to us. Thankful to the guys like yourself, the Tyson Gikes, the Patty G's, um Devons and everyone the Ashley Dawkins for you know I learn a lot from you guys and I'm just thankful that I was a part of it and in the end I'm thankful I now get to continue to watch and more than anything I'm just a lacrosse player at heart and always will be do you you kind of mentioned it do you have aspirations to to get behind a bench or get into a front office or working behind the scenes with teams Oh, uh, I joke about this with my buddies all the time because I, I definitely do eventually because I can always see myself as uh, the guy from Moneyball, where if my coach pisses me off, I'm going to play Callum Crawford. Well, you can't because he's in Calgary. So you're going to play this guy. So, you know, things like that where you get to control and work with a coach and put together and see your vision come to life on the floor. I'd love to be a GM at some point. Um, obviously, I know that starts with learning the league and understanding it. And I have uh, quite a bit of that to do. Um, but yeah, I do have admirations eventually. And if their admirations were, if they come true, great. If they don't, I understand that too, because there's so many talented and great coaches out there all across Canada and the United States. And the thing that, you know, 
excites me is seeing this game take off in the United States and the U.S. Boxler and seeing Dane Smith and Evie and Turner and all them go down there and they're learning and to see what Doily's done with that California All-Star team. It's uh, it's pretty special just to watch. And I'm just a lacrosse fan. I just like watching it and I just like watching it grow. So what it's going to be is just a part of the family. I'm just a step away. My friend, you've used the word thankful a few times. As a former player, broadcast from a fan, we are thankful for everything that you've done for this game. Um, your heart, dedication, and passion was never lost on anybody. You are one of the greatest warriors our game has ever seen. Thank you so much for giving it your all every time in and every time out. Uh, thank you so much for, for just balling out every time. Um, you showed your love and, and passion and fire for this sport and it will be greatly missed so congratulations on a fantastic career my man thank you and like i said i look forward to it and one bad name call out there in san diego you'll get a text letting you know get from the airport. So it's all good buddy <laughs> i appreciate you man this has been awesome uh enjoy retirement and then we know we'll see you on the rink soon all the best man. that's a lot of pressure one name screw up and he's gonna be all over me I mean, it's, it's going to happen. Guess I better keep my phone handy. His suits will hold me accountable for everything, as he does everybody. That's just the way he was as a player, the way he was as a captain. And if the time ever comes, the way he will be as a coach or GM or scout, and I know he has all the potential to be those things. And, you know, we've seen it in other professional sports, and we're seeing it more and more in the National Lacrosse League now, is when guys end their playing careers, they're quickly flipping the switch more often to get into the executive roles and to get into coaching and getting into being a GM. And with the ALL, both in Ontario and now in BC, there's going to be lots of opportunities for guys to fill those roles and grow their ability to be the next wave of front office people and NLL coaches and scouts and you name it. And I know Andrew Suter has a very bright future ahead of him in one of those capacities. I look forward to that part of his career because I know it will be just as impactful off it as he was on it. Before we go, we have a bonus treat for you. If you did watch the championship game of the PLL on Sunday and you watched the chaos throughout the year, one of the surprise stories was Chase Fraser. And just a few short years ago, he was on the shelf with a torn ACL. And after going to Newman College and then District of Columbia, he wasn't getting a lot of looks. But he was a Swiss Army knife in the box game. And incredibly uber-talented. And in early days in his junior career and when he was first getting into the WLA, people kind of akin to him to you know, what Curtis Dixon could do in the fact that he could shoot from the outside, but he could also bull through you and get to the middle. 
But what I loved about his game was that he was also taking like 90% of the draws for the Nanaimo Timmerman in the WLA. And he was winning face-offs and going down and scoring big goals. He was fighting for loose balls, staying and playing on offense. He could run back and play a shift to D if he needed to and then transition the ball up the floor. And when he was picked up by the Bandits, he completely fit in to that culture with Dane Smith and Josh Byrne and Chris Cloutier. It was a natural fit. And with all those guys on the chaos, it only made sense that they bring Fraze along with them. And after sitting out the first bit of the season, Josh Byrne talked to head coach Andy Towers. They had a deep, strong, lengthy conversation about the need to get Chase in their team. A couple phone calls later, and then a few weeks later, and Chase Fraser was one of the darlings of Championship Sunday. So one-on-one chat with one of the rising stars of our game, Chase Fraser, right here on the Off the Crossbar podcast. Brother, how are you? Great, man. Doing great. It's an unbelievable yeah. feeling. Yeah, isn't it? Uh, I, we were just talking with Glick, and, and he couldn't get the smile off his face. Uh, your smile is still there. How does it feel to be a PLL champion? unbelievable like to be honest like fully haven't like set in yet out of just like but the whole process is like unbelievable just how we went through as a team and just like what our team went through to then find our identity and then once we found our identity to know that just the trust within that we were going to do what we planned what we were aiming up to do and win and we did win so it's just unbelievable yeah, and it's funny to think, you know, early part of the season, you weren't even with this team. And it took some time for you to kind of get into the process, into the PLL. Um, let's kind of go back before. What were you doing before you got the call from Josh Byrne and Coach Towers to say that we want to bring you on? What was life like uh, for you? Life uh, was, I was working a, your normal job kind of thing. I was working uh, from 5 a.m. to 2 p.m at a plastic uh, manufacturing plant. I was also going to school uh, to get my personal training certificate done. And uh, I was training myself and then uh, I was coaching kids. So I was super busy in lacrosse and then outside of lacrosse as well, just trying to give back to the game and try to better myself. And then your boy, Josh Berner calls you and the rest is history. The rest is history. Josh gave me the call while I was at work one day. And ever since then, it's just been a go for working for the chaos. Um, when you first met Coach Towers, what was that experience like? <laughs> uh, we were, I was in Long Island. We were walking out to the practice field, and first thing I looked at him, and he had the big, big grin on his face and said, Phrase, welcome to the team. Gave me the big dap and that famous elbow to the chest that everyone <laughs> receives. That, that, that was unreal. And as soon as I met him, it was, it was great. I just, that was the, that's who I wanted to be coached by in the PLL and just how intense he is and just, how for his players he is just was where I wanted to be and just was such a good fit. Have you ever had a coach like that, that that is just truly all energy all the time? No, I've never experienced anything like that. Like just, it's, it's crazy. Like all energy like that, but it's all positive energy. It's, 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 it's crazy. It's really something cool to be a part of. Uh, I asked Glick this question as well. You know, the two phrases that I always hear come out of Andy Towers mouth are don't be happy and go to your dark place. What's your dark place when, when he tells you to go there? I just turn my mind off and just think of uh, about all like the 
the naysayers in a way that said that you're it's what it is you played deep you played low level college across like you don't really belong here kind of thing but like deep down I knew I belonged and that's where I went it was just for that work ethic in a way just to dig deeper just to prove people wrong um the doubters were there 3.2 percent had you guys winning and towers always let you guys be reminded of that was was that a chip on your guys shoulder was that really a thing for you guys that helped motivate you through this playoff run in a way yeah it was like a chip just like to be an underdog it's kind of yeah but uh, at the end of the day, we all just knew just to believe in each other. We didn't need the outsiders. We had our, our group and we knew what we had was going to work and it did. So for the 3.2, appreciate you. But. <laughs> <laughs> um, obviously there was a lot of familiarity for you and, and that offense with, you know, with your bandit guys there and some West coast guys there and a lot of box heavy offense. How easy was it for you to fit into that group? Um, at first it was, I mean, with the group we had, it was, I lived with four of the guys, right? Yeah. So that was the easy part. But uh, there was a transition for me going, because I started out playing midfield, right? And I, all through college and was playing attack and all that. But uh, playing midfield at that that level, at the level, it was it was interesting. It was a like super fast pace, there was a lot going on. And that was a big adjustment for me. And then, but just like the comfortability that I had with the guys I lived with and then, how everybody on that team is just so welcoming and just so nice and just everyone just had so much respect for each other it was such an open door aspect it was just you walked in and everyone you're part of the family right away and it was it was great easy adjustment for the team harder adjustment for the position but then when I got swapped to attack it just fit like a glove um how much fun is it to play in that offense unbelievable it's <laughs> right? just like so much fun because you got so much like you, you can attack from any position like you got dane coming down from the upper wing for on the right side you got josh dominating on the left you got me and chris behind it at, at x you got mac o'keefe that can let that thing go from center <laughs> you know you got ryan smith that catches anything inside and then you got the west that does the same thing like right yeah. just we're all we're all goal scorers in a way right we know how to do that kind of thing was was there a, a specific game plan for you guys going into that championship game because you know a lot of people had the whips as favorites and they were talking about you know the, their goaltending and, and their stellar defense but you guys really had a solid game plan um how well did you guys execute that uh, i feel like we executed our game plan really well um we were just trying to we weren't sure what kind of defense they were going to like throw at us we weren't sure if they were going to pressure us they weren't sure they were going to settle in but we had schemes for whatever they were going to throw at us but the biggest thing is like we um, we just got to work. We always work together. Like we, no matter what, we're always on the same page with what someone's gonna do, and we're always got backups for if that play doesn't work. And we always have adjustments for our plays that we have set to make them look like the same plays. But at the end of the day, or the end of the play, the last final move is different, which then throws the defense off. So yeah, and, and you guys were always finding that that extra one more. You know, it was a lot of very mm -hmm. unselfish plays as that game went on. Um, you were the beneficiary of a couple of those extra passes from Dane. Um, were you just kind of in a zone? Were you feeling it all game long? Yeah, it was like you soon as you walked in, warm-ups, our warm-ups were fun. We have Keller in our locker room bumping our tunes, getting us all fired up. Towers' pregame speech always gets you fired up. Then we got, yeah, Glick does a really good, like, calm-down speech, but it's like mm. it calms you down but hypes you up at the same time. Warm-ups went well. Everyone was buzzing in warm-ups. Everyone was hitting their shots and just, like, ball was moving. Defense was even knocking passes down. 
So uh, going into it, we were, we were really confident and just, it was nice. When you're in those zones, uh, uh, like, are you thinking anything else? Or is it just ball in the stick, ball in the back of the net? Ball in the stick, ball in the back <laughs> of the net. You're not thinking. It's just like, you're not worried about the time on the clock. Like you're not worried about the score kind of thing. You're dialed into the now moment and just trying to do or trying to keep up with the flow of the game and just stay in the moment to stay in the zone. When you're standing on the offensive side of the ball watching your defense and watching Blaze, how impressive is it to see what they did to a, an offense that included, you know, Smith and Rambo and Williams and, and the types of players that have been back-to-back champs in the reigning kings of the PLL the past two years? It was unbelievable watching those guys. You know, you you got Rowlett that holds Zeddy to zero goals, and you got Newman on their side that pulls Rambo to zero goals, and you have Johnny Serdic that wins every single one-on-one matchup. He doesn't let a shot off. It's just like sitting back on our side of the field or the you know, offensive side of the field for us watching that. It's like poetry in motion in a way. And then whatever shot they give off, Blaze just sucks that thing into his stick yeah. up, up and out, and then we're playing offense again, and then it's it's unbelievable. Just like – the confidence, I wouldn't say that, I'd say the comfortability that the offense has knowing that we have those guys behind us also helps us with our offense so we can make those risky passes in a way that do tend to pay off. But if they don't, we know that we got the MVP, the best three-time goalie of the league in the back of the net with an absolute lockdown defense. Um, how good were mini bottles of Pink Whitney? Oh, <laughs> probably drank about 10 of those, but uh, yeah. <laughs> It was so good. The first thing that hit my system was was the Pink Whitney and then the Bud Lights. And uh, yeah. funny, my body actually didn't really like that. I, had, uh, <laughs> I went into uh, a full body cramp after the game and had to get five bags of IV put into me. Oh, so, yeah, was, <laughs> I don't wish that upon nobody. But it was, no, it was right? very un- but, yeah, no. As soon as the adrenaline wore off, my body was like, what's going on? Right, like, yeah, I, yeah. It was when- awesome, though, but yeah. The coolest thing about, you know, winning those championships and, and the moments that come from are, are those brief seconds when everybody's in the room away from the crowd and away from the cameras. And it's just the family in that room. Yeah. Um, how special of a moment was that for you to be have welcomed, have been welcomed into that family and to be a part of it and to see the culmination of everything? Oh, it was unbelievable. Um, we were just being welcomed in that family was great. And then the moment of us, in the locker room celebrating and like with the trophy in the middle of us we're all arms around each other you know just having like celebrating and enjoying the moment after that, i actually had to like take a personal step back and just like look and just like holy like this is real like we did it like it's, it's it was such a cool feeling and just unreal experience you have a lot of friends and family watching the game back home yeah i had uh, my parents actually threw like a watch party and oh, like nice. there was i want to say about 30 people there i guess that were in my uh, uh home uh, home theater there watching all that it was, it was unbelievable friends and family yeah when, when you think back a couple years ago um as a guy who tore an acl in the summer league and had to go through the process of battling back to get healthy and and get yourself in game shape to be at that top level how rewarding is the process Oh, it's absolutely rewarding going from, yeah, blowing my knee out in the summer of 2019 to then coming in, getting the MLL cut season cut short because of COVID right after I get cleared from my knee injury to then not being able to play 
for a whole year and then been working for it and then get the chance to play at the highest the highest level of field lacrosse and it was just it's so rewarding to end off because all your hard work pays off it does it does pay off it's crazy and now you get you know six weeks off is a bit of a break um and then it's nll season right away camps are right around the corner uh you mentioned it the the 2020 season was cut short we've all been waiting for this December 3rd opening week. And how excited are you to get back to bandit land and get back to the hype of NLL? So fired up to be uh, actually go back to bandit land. Can't wait for that atmosphere. I know it's going to be absolutely packed on December 4th when we're playing Calgary. Uh, but yeah, no, the six weeks it's, it's time off, but it's, it's not time off. You know, it's we're we'll take the week this week and then it's back to work to then go back to Buffalo and hopefully win a NLL cup, the championship in the NLL. That would be uh, quite the double that you guys pull off. And and you got Dane and Klooch and Josh. You guys are all living together. How fun is that group of guys to be around? Um, and just the, the bond that you guys have that, that creates the great relationships on and off the floor. Oh, it's uh, this house is awesome. Like we're <laughs> we're always doing something like we're always be uh, we always go to the gym together every morning. And after that, we're either going golfing or hanging out by the pool out back or going to go do something, going to the field shooting, going going out for something to eat, grabbing a couple of drinks or something like that. And then, uh, yeah, it's, it's unreal. Unreal. Your, yours is a great story from Aldergrove to Newman, to the district of Columbia, uh, to bandit land and now a PLL champion. My man, this is a, an unbelievable journey. Congratulations. And I appreciate your time, dude. Thank you. Thanks for having me. What a story Chase Fraser is from Aldergrove, BC, all the way to the PLL championships. And it was just a treat to watch that offense in action. And I know throughout the game, everyone was making jokes that the Buffalo Bandits outscored the Whip Snakes and Team Canada just took over the PLL and all this stuff. Just pump the brakes a little bit on all that stuff. But it is kind of funny that an offense that is like 90% Canadian. Mac O'Keefe's American. Kyle Jackson's Haudenosaunee. But it was a treat to watch them execute their game plan offensively. Pick and rolls, slam picks, one extras, ball movement, Shots when they were there, they were scoring from the inside. They were scoring from the outside. And every time they scored, it just gave them that much more momentum and that much more belief that they could actually get it done. And at the end of the day, they did get it done. And what a celebration it was. And of course, a crystal glass vase trophy filled with beer and filled with pink Whitney being passed around by a bunch of dudes was going to get broken. It was more inevitable than Andy Towers screaming something memeable. But what a showcase and what an end to the PLL's third season. I believe year four will be bigger and better. 
And after we get through the next nine months of National Lacrosse League action, we'll kick back up our PLL coverage. And we'll see what year four has in store. But until then, it is full-on NLL season. Camps are five weeks away. Opening weekend is like nine weeks away. We are getting there. The countdown is on. And we will all soon, hopefully, fingers crossed, be inside jam-packed NLL arenas enjoying the moment and enjoying the greatest game on earth. Thanks to Mark Glassini, Chase Fraser, and Andrew Suter. All champs, all legends, and all warriors. And of course, thanks to you for sticking around and listening to this extended edition of the Off the Crossbar podcast. Again, don't forget, find me on Twitter at Off the Crossbar, on Instagram, OCTB Podcast, or email me, teddy.jenner at gmail.com. Enjoy the beginning of fall. Stay safe. And until we speak again, be excellent to each other.